men. Jehovah said, can you, the Lord, our righteousness. We're going to turn together in God's word this evening to the Gospel of John and to the 19th chapter, the Gospel of John and to the chapter 19. These Lord's Day evenings, we're coming to some meditations upon Calvary, coming to the Gospel record and reading what the different evangelists have to say as they give their account of what took place at Calvary. Last Lord's Day evening, we were in Mark's Gospel, the chapter 15, and we thought about the drink that the Savior refused at Calvary. And tonight we're coming to John chapter 19, and we'll move down the chapter to the 23rd verse. John 19 and the verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son, then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Neither was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and gave up the ghost. The Jews therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came the right blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye may believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. 
And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Amen. We'll end there at verse 37. May the Lord add his own blessing to this public reading from his own precious and infallible word. Amen. It's great to hear you singing the great message of the gospel. We're looking tonight at John chapter 19. John chapter 19, we commenced a reading there at the 23rd verse. And that's really the verse tonight that I want to draw to your attention. And there in John 19 and the verse 23, we read, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. And tonight as we come to Calvary, we're wanting to consider the clothes of Christ at Calvary. The clothes of Christ at Calvary. Let's just unite together in prayer. And you pray tonight that the Lord will speak to you through his precious word. Our gracious God, our loving Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee tonight that we can open up the Scriptures of truth together. And we come, our Father, not to follow cunningly devised fables, but we come to that more sure word of prophecy. We know that heaven and earth shall pass away, but Thy word shall never pass away. We can say tonight, forever, O God, thy word is settled in heaven. And we pray that that word, O God, would go forth tonight with power and that that word would find a resting place even within hearts. Do hear us, O God, and do abide with us now and shut us into thee. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, the fact that we wear clothes is an indication that we are sinners. Because if you remember back to the time of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, whenever Adam and Eve fell into sin, it tells us that their eyes were opened and they saw that they were naked. And they took the fig leaves and they sewed them together and they made themselves aprons in an effort to cover their nakedness and their shame. It was the Lord who came, the Lord who clothed them with animal skins. Therefore, we learn that the purpose of clothing is to cover over that nakedness and that shame. And the clothes that we wear... They make a statement. The clothes that we wear will always send out a message. Maybe you have seen someone and they have got new clothes. Maybe there's a new dress or there's a new suit. And someone might comment about it and say, that's a real statement. And so the clothes that we wear, they do make a statement. The clothes that we wear, they do send out that message. If you were to see the policeman and you can see the uniform that he wears, well, that sends out a message. 
You think about the nurse and the nurse's uniform. You see someone dressed going to work, you would rightly conclude there may be an office worker. And so what they have on gives us something of an indication. Maybe there's someone else and you would say, well, they must be working on a building site. Because how we dress sends out a message to those around us. Therefore, the Christian should always be careful about their dress. The Bible gives us guidance whenever it comes to clothing. There is to be the distinction between male and female. There is to be modesty in our appearance. That clear guidance is given to us in the scriptures concerning our clothes. It's interesting, therefore, to note that when it comes to Calvary, it mentions the Savior's clothes. You can see here from our text of Scripture, verse 23, then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments, the garments of the Lord Jesus Christ. They took his garments, and it tells us there that They made four parts to every soldier apart. And so there would have been four soldiers who were assigned to oversee the crucifixion this day. And they're helping themselves to the spoils, if you like, of the crucifixion. And they take there the garments of the Lord. And every soldier, the four of them, they get a part each. Every Jew would have had five articles of clothing. They would have had the headdress. They would have had the shoes or the sandals for their feet. They would have had the girdle. They would have had the inner robe and the outer robe. Five pieces of clothing. And so each of the four soldiers, they have initially here chosen a part One would have got the sandals. One would have got the headdress. One got the girdle. One got the uh, outer robe. And then it came to that inner robe. That tells us there about that inner robe. And also his coat it's referred to. Now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout And therefore, this particular garment was something that was quite unique. It didn't have a seam. It was without seam. And the further description of it tells us that it was a woven garment. It was woven from the top throughout. And therefore, we're looking at a seamless robe. I don't know if many ladies today would still be involved with uh, the needles, whether it's needlework or the knitting or the crocheting, maybe a seamstress, but you would know, you would appreciate the skill and the time that would be involved, the work here to create this particular garment that was woven from the top throughout Tradition tells us that the Jewish women would have produced this sort of garment for their son. And so it's possible that it was Mary. And maybe there with love she made this particular garment 
for her son, the seamless robe woven from the top throughout. The soldiers recognize that. And it tells us there in verse 24, they said therefore among themselves, let us not rend it. We, we'll not just tear this apart. We'll not tear it into four and split it between us. For we know that if we rend it, we ruin it. If we rend it, it becomes worthless and of no value. So we'll gamble for it. There are the four soldiers. They begin to cast lots for the Savior's coat. Who would have it? Gambling for the garments at the cross. It's quite amazing whenever you think about it. Gambling is a terrible vice. I know some people who have been caught up in gambling and it's actually got a grip off them. I know those that have lost not only thousands but tens of thousands as a result of gambling. I know those whose businesses have been destroyed because of gambling. Homes and families that have been wrecked because of gambling. And here at the cross with gamblers. And they're just with the Savior a few yards away. And the Savior has been nailed to the tree and he's suffering there in agony and in pain. He's pouring out his precious blood. There were the seven cries uh, that he cried from the cross, but they're oblivious. They're there within sight of the Savior. They're there within earshot of the Savior. But they're totally indifferent to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an act of coldness and an act of callousness to be gambling for the Lord's garment as he's there bleeding and dying upon the tree. They're taken up with worldly possessions. They're taken up with what they're able to gain that particular day and they don't have time for the Savior. They can't spare a thought for the Lord Jesus Christ. Just seeking what they can gain in this old world. In the Gospel of Luke, the chapter 12, and there the verse 15, the Lord said unto them, Take heed. And beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. My, what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? And here are those just in the shadow of the cross of Christ, and they're gambling for his coat, they're gambling for his garment. There are so many today who would be represented by those soldiers. They're just taken up with the things of time and sense. They're just taken up with the things of the world and what they can gain out of this world. But no time. No time for the Savior. And so as we 
just think a little bit tonight about the clothes of Christ at Calvary and particularly about that coat that is referred to that was without seam and woven from the top throughout. There are a few simple points that I would like to make tonight concerning it. Firstly, the prophecy of Christ in these clothes. The prophecy of Christ. If you were to look back in your Bible to the Psalms and to the Psalm 22, and you would know that Psalm 22 uh, speaks to us much about the Savior, and it speaks to us about his sacrifice upon Calvary. And there this psalm of David, written perhaps a thousand years before the Savior would go to Calvary, and yet there are details in this psalm that speak to us about what would happen at Golgotha's hillside. In Psalm 22 and the verse 18, it says, They part my garments among them. There's the four soldiers. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. And when you look at our Bible reading and you think there of those words in John 19 and in the verse 24, you can see that they are given there in direct fulfillment to Psalm 22 and the verse 18. That verse 24, they said therefore among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. And can you see that there in the Psalms, those words of David under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, they are prophetical words of what would happen there at Calvary, and they were fulfilled exactly. And we read of those four soldiers, and they parted Christ's raiment among them, and then for his vesture they cast lots. They gambled for his coat. You know, we would have thought perhaps in reading the Gospels, Reading about the Lord Jesus Christ when he would be stripped and he would be nailed to the tree and crucified, we would maybe have expected that someone would have come with his belongings and his garments and would have given them to his mother. You would think that that would have been the decent thing to do. But those garments didn't go to Mary. They didn't go to John who was there either. They didn't go to Mary Magdalene. They didn't go later to Nicodemus or to Joseph of Arimathea. It was the soldiers. They would part his raiment among them and for his vesture they would cast lots and therefore the scriptures would be fulfilled exactly. You notice our Bible reading at the end of verse 24. It actually puts a sentence there that we would say it's almost superfluous. It doesn't really need to be there. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. But the Holy Spirit of God has inserted that into the divine record because it beggars belief what they did. 
these things. Therefore, the soldiers did. They actually did that. But they did it in fulfillment of the Holy Scriptures. And therefore, this evening, we see the accuracy of God's precious word. And how many prophecies of the Old Testament would be fulfilled there at Calvary. We looked last Lord's Day evening at the drink that the Savior refused. And even that had been prophesied of. Tonight we see the very clothes that were upon his back. And they have been prophesied of. And it's been fulfilled And you can see it there that the minutest details at Calvary are all being fulfilled in accordance with Scripture. And therefore, there's a confirmation to us tonight. And the confirmation is, this Bible is true. This Bible is true. We can see the Scriptures being fulfilled there. And it proves to us the accuracy of God's precious word. And there's something else that it confirms to us as well. It confirms to us God's plan of salvation. Because there throughout the Old Testament scriptures and those prophecies and promises that were given, and then those hundreds of years later, we see them actually being fulfilled and it's all in accordance with God's divine plan for man's redemption. And so it confirms the accuracy and the authority of Holy Scripture and it confirms to us the plan of redemption. Right down to his very garments. You would know Isaiah 53 There in the verse 7 of that chapter, what a prophecy that whole chapter is of Calvary. But it says in chapter 7 that he's led as a lamb to the slaughter. And then it says, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so open he not his mouth. And we would think of that verse of scripture about the submission of the Lord Jesus Christ just as the sheep will submit to its shearers and there's the submission of Christ as he goes forth in the sufferings of Calvary but I saw that verse of scripture and that prophecy in a way that I'd never seen it before this week the sheep before its shearers Why is the sheep before its shearers? In order that its coat would be removed. There's the Lord Jesus Christ going to Calvary. When we took up our reading in John 19 and the verse 23, it says they took his garments. They removed his coat. The sheep before its shearers. And it just further confirms to us this evening my the veracity of God's precious word. That they took him and they stripped him there publicly. They took his garments from him and there they put him to public shame and ignominy. There they humiliated the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And as you think about his clothes, there's the prophecy of Christ and his clothes. But secondly, tonight, I want you to think about the perfection of Christ in these clothes. Because our text of Scripture, in referring to this particular coat of the Savior, it says, Now his coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. And for any who would be familiar with the making of garments, here was a garment where there was no seam, a garment where there was no join, a garment where there was no blemish, there was no flaw. You know, in knitting a garment, you would maybe knit the front and knit the back and then they'll be stitched together. Maybe then the sleeves would be knit separately and then that will all be stitched together and there will be those various seams and joins. Not this garment. This garment would be woven from the top throughout and it would be, we could say, a perfect garment. No seam, no blemish, no join, no flaw whatsoever. The message here is not just to describe in detail that coat of the Lord, but there's a deeper suggestive meaning here, and it's speaking to us of the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the message that's going out from his clothing. Here's the statement that that coat is making to us. The perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ because just as that garment was, if you like, the perfect robe, it's speaking to us of the sinlessly perfect Savior and that he himself is without flaw, he himself is without blemish, he himself is the one who is perfect. I was reminded of the Old Testament high priest and the garments that they were to have. And in Exodus chapter 28, it tells us in the verse 31, And thou shalt make the robe of the ephod all of blue, and there shall be an hole in the top of it, in the midst thereof it shall have a binding of woven work round about the whole of it. And there that garment, that robe for the high priest, it was to be that woven work. The Savior is our great high priest. And Hebrews tells us that he is the greater high priest and he's the perfect high priest. And so we're considering there, even through the message of this garment, the perfection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the fact that there is the robe of his righteousness. Oh, man's garments. Man's garments are so very different. Whenever you think of Isaiah 64 and the verse 6, it says, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Filthy rags, that's really our robe naturally. Significant that the Savior here His robe was taken from him. It was not torn. It was to remain intact. And we know that it's speaking to us about his purity, but it would speak as well about that unity. That unity. I read about a robe in 1 Kings chapter 11 and the verse 29 and following. 
And that was a robe that was to be rent in 12 pieces. And it was speaking about the dividing of the nation, the dividing of the 12 tribes, the 10 and the 2. But the Savior's robe would remain intact. The unity of his person, the unity of his people, the perfect Savior and the perfect sacrifice, that never-to-be-repeated sacrifice. And there was the shame of the Lord Jesus Christ, and there was his suffering at Calvary, and we're called upon to consider him. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Tonight in the gospel meeting, you consider the Lord Jesus Christ and the message that there is before us here at Calvary. The prophecy of Christ in the clothes. The perfection of Christ in the clothes. Then thirdly, the provision of Christ in the clothes. That robe reminds us of the Savior's perfection and it reminds us of his righteousness. And as we've indicated, it was taken from him. But at Calvary, sin was put upon him. The Lord Jesus Christ would be made sin at Calvary. In 2 Corinthians 5 and the verse 21, the apostle said to the Corinthians, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And therefore in salvation there is this transaction that takes place. And through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ there is that provision for the sinner. That the Lord Jesus takes upon himself our sin. He was made sin for us. He bears it all. Takes the penalty of that sin. Takes the consequences of a broken law. Takes the very wrath of God upon himself. He takes our sin. And he gives to us his righteousness. He became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That is in salvation when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are counted righteous before God. Not because there's any righteousness in us, because all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, but we are robed in the perfect righteousness of our Lord and Savior. We are made pure, we are forgiven, we are cleansed, we are pardoned. God looks upon us, robed in that perfect righteousness of the Savior. Revelation chapter 7, you read there about that great multitude that no man could number. It's the redeemed of the Lord out of every kindred and people and tongue and nation. And of course it is said in that chapter, these are they that have washed their robes, made them white in the precious blood of the Lamb. Oh, what a privilege it is to be saved and to know that we're robed in his perfect righteousness. 
Over in Isaiah, the chapter 61, it speaks to us there about garments. And then Isaiah chapter 61 and the verse 10. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. And this evening, just think as we close about those words. That's what the Lord does for those who will accept him as their saviour. He clothes us with the garments of salvation and he covers us with the robe of righteousness. And I say to you tonight, be sure. Be sure that you have that robe upon you. Be sure that you're robed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. You remember in Matthew chapter 22, the Lord told the parable about the wedding, the wedding of the king's son that came to the wedding feast. And when the king came in, he saw a man who was not wearing the wedding garment. And he approached him immediately and he was taken and he was bound hand and foot and he was cast out. It says, cast out into outer darkness. And of course, that speaks to us about hell tonight. He hadn't got the garment on and he was cast into outer darkness. I say to you tonight, most especially if you're not saved, you need to be robed in Christ's perfect righteousness. And if you're not, and you go out into eternity, you will be cast out into outer darkness, the blackness of darkness forever, where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. No garment of salvation, no heaven. Therefore, tonight, if you're not saved, you come and you come with urgency and you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior.